My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast. Unlike any other, you have done it. We are here. It is Glory's first shot on Fairway Road. podcast on the ringer podcast network i am your starter joe house it is an unbelievable moment my eagle enthusiasts golf fans across the world it's hard to believe we have major golf in our immediate future the pga championship is going down at tpc harding park we have to talk about some storylines and no one is better for that than our homie Joel Beal from Golf Digest coming on. We're going to talk through what to expect of the golf course. We're going to talk about who we expect to play well. We got to talk some beefy Bryson. Of course, we're going to talk about Tiger Woods. Our PGA correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard, is literally going to San Francisco this week to give us some on-the-ground reports. The first tee is open, my birdie buddies. Let's go throw a peg in the ground and chop it up with Joe Beal and Nathan Hubbard. My Eagle enthusiasts, I'm so pleased at this moment to be joined by my two pals, Nathan Hubbard and Joel Beal from Golf Digest. It's August. We have our first major of the season. Professional golf is being played Major golf is in our immediate future. It is Glory's first shot right here upon us. Joe Beal, thanks for coming on today, my friend. How you doing? 
I also, you know, I'm always honored when you give me the invite and excited to talk some golf and, uh, Hey, well, I'm just excited. We're playing a major. This didn't look too good a couple of weeks ago. So the fact that we're even playing is cause for ju- jubilation. Jubilation. I mean, how about these circumstances that were convenient? Now we are actually taping this, uh, Sunday evening. Cause we wanted it to be up for all our par saving pals. First thing Monday, as they get their head around, uh, a major week, uh, it's been so long since we had a major in our lives. But right now, the, the leaderboard at the WGC in Memphis is thick with a bunch of guys that we like coming up for this tournament. And we'll get to some some names uh, that we like, but it's just a wonderful time. So I want to talk to you about TPC Harding Park, because the last time that it, it held a stroke play event for professional golf was back in 2005. And El Tigre... Elder Tiger Woods was the victor at, at that event. But since then, the, the venue has hosted a uh, President's Cup. It's hosted match play. But we don't have a lot of experience here with, with stroke play events. W- what are you anticipating? Most of these venues, even though we only visit them every five or six years, there is a little bit of history. Um, really, the only history with Harding Park is that it just has a reputation for not being a tough course. Uh, its slope ring is 129. For, for some context, Beth Page was 152 last year at the PGA Championship, and I believe Wingfoot is around 141, which is hosting the U.S. Open. So it, it kind of makes sense. It is a public track. You know, most of its populace are just normal hackers like me and you. The problem, though, is that when a pre- prestigious event comes, it's just a matter of it's, you can't just grow the rough and get creative with the pins. Kind of the entire DNA of the course has to be changed. And, you know, a few years back, Harding Park did undergo this multi-million dollar renovation, mostly targeted at the green complexes, but they still really aren't as undulating as other major championships or what we've come to expect from other major, major championship venues. From what I've been told by officials, they're just going to kind of bring the fairways in. Um, one PGA official said they're going to be playing about 50% title than it normally plays. Um, and you should expect the rough to be brutal. Still, like it's, it's really the thing to expect is more of a PGA tour venue than a major venue. And I think that's going to really play into who we have our picks for. But um, I don't think you're going to see eight or nine under this week. I think you're going to see 17 under, 18 under is the winner. So that's interesting, right? Because back in 2005, only 24 players finish under par at this venue. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, how you factor in the lack of familiarity uh, of the guys, you know, playing it in, in these conditions, it'll be the first time that and many of them, most of them will have ever um, played the venue in the condition that it's currently in. Right. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I had the match play in what, 2015 there. But um, if you look at who was in the field, it's not a, a great contingent of guys in the field, but uh, number one have stopped by in the past year, uh, just when they've been in California. So I'd be surprised if maybe there's probably 30 or 40 guys who haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, there it's for, for a major venue. There's not the same familiarity as as you normally see in these events. One thing about this course is it's highly wind dependent, right? It, it is way out on the, on the Western part of San Francisco. So it doesn't really get the weather that rolls through the Bay bridge, but it does get, or into the Bay of San Francisco, but it does get that wind that comes off the ocean. It's probably only about a half mile away. It also has seven par fours that are at least 460 yards. So as we start to think about the guys who are going to be competitive on this course, right now it looks like the wind may be down, but you're right at sea level. So do you look at this course and think 
only the guys with length are going to be competitive this week? For the most part, the only person I would throw in there that's kind of the aberration is Matthew Fitzpatrick. And that's just because he's been playing so strong this year. But really, aside from Fitzpatrick, I think you're going to see a lot of the names on the leaderboard, the, the bigger hitters kind of dominate. Yeah, you've got, you've got a lot of shots that have to be hit. There's not a lot of straightaway shots on this course. There's going to be a lot of fades, a lot of draws off the tee to be able to, to shape as you get into these greens. It really feels like, like we've seen in this restart there's only two ways to really protect this course if the wind is down. And that is rough, which is slated to be at three and a half, but everything we're hearing from people who've been kicking around the last couple, last couple of days says four inches. And then lightning fast greens, because as you said, there's not a lot of undulation to them. So you're going to have to speed them up to give these guys tough putts. And the one thing I will add, sorry, uh, House, one thing I'll add off Nathan's comment is, PJ has a reputation of just letting the course play as is. This is not a, a USGA type setup where they'll try to reconfigure it to kind of meet some type of aspirational score. If, if the course is saying, hey, it's going to go low, they're, they're totally okay with that. Um, and, and credit for the PGA Championship for allowing that. So, um, yeah, if, if the winds aren't kicking down, I think you're going to see some low scores. Yeah, one of the things that I saw in some of the early reporting on, you know, the ways that they'll try and, and protect the course is, you know, mowing patterns and and the the pinching of the fairways and, you know, some of the uh, angles that, that Nate just mentioned, you know, some of that where, you know, the bunkers will come into play because the fairways will be mowed in a, in a pattern that, that could, you know, let land balls in there. But I do love the point that you just made, JB, which is PGA Championship just lets the venue be it, it itself. And, you know, whatever it shows that week, they're not trying to uh, do anything too crazy to manufacture uh, a scoring result. Now, speaking of scoring results, we mentioned a little bit ago with the WGC in Memphis is happening in, in the background here. Brooks Kepka uh, just took the lead at that event on like the 14th hole. And he is the name that I want to talk about first with you, uh, Mr. Beal, because he is not only the defending champion of the PGA Championship, he's got an opportunity to win three in a row. And lo and behold, it is the week before major. It is a tournament going on right now down in Memphis with a stellar field. And another stellar field assembling in San Francisco. And here we see Brooks right at the top. What do you think about his chances? Well, I think we need to repeat what you just said. You know, he's going for a three-peat. And only two players have pulled that off in golf history. The last guy to do that, Peter Thompson, uh, with the Open Championship back in the 1950s. Not that that's something Brooks really cares about. But still, some serious history on the line for Kepka. For me, the biggest thing is his knee. Uh, you know, the past month, he's gone from, hey, it's fine, to... Actually, it's bothering me a lot more than I'm letting on to, you know what? Actually, it's fine. It's not a problem. I'm feeling good. Um, and I think judging by his poor results he's had most of this year, I think that it's safe to say there was some correlation between his play and his health. But what he's done in Memphis this week has been so important because no matter what happens over these closing holes um, as we're taping this, it's just a fantastic showing for Kepka. Uh, more impressively has just been how he's doing it. Uh, he's only in the top three on the weekend driving the top third in the, in the weekend driving, I should say, but going into these final couple of holes, he's leading the field and approach. That's been an area that's really plagued him most of this year. I believe he was outside the top 130 in the category prior to Memphis. So 
definitely a sign he needed and a sign I'm sure the rest of the field really uh, did not want to see um, because a Kepka coming in hot is something that does not bode well for them. As we think about the guys who are going to play well this week too, it, ball striking is going to be a big part of it, especially coming down the stretch. On Harding Park, you know, it, it's it's sort of the Chase Kepka of the Kepka family, right? It looks longingly across the lake at, at Olympic Club over there. But Brooks has got, if he can keep striking the ball this way, you know, you make the turn there at Harding Park and the last par five you're going to see on the course is that 10th hole, which is really gettable. But then coming down the stretch, we know 16 is that drivable par four where we're going to see a lot of players have to make a strategic choice about whether they go for it, whether they don't. The last four or five holes of the golf course are all on the lake. So much of what we see in these closing holes, 17 is a super gettable par three. So it's going to be about the guys who are putting their iron shots as close to the pin as possible. Brooks seems to be getting to that point. Now, the other guy who we're watching come down the stretch here is Thomas, who has been the best ball striker since the restart. Yeah, it's funny. Thomas is the guy I'm struggling most with because as we mentioned, if Harding Park plays closer to a tour venue than a major venue, go ahead and just empty the kids' college savings on JT. You know, this year he's second in birdie average, third in scoring, I believe top five in T degree and strokes gained as well. So, um, you know, he's also, you know, fighting down the stretch here in Memphis, but even if he doesn't win, it's going to be his like ninth top 10 and 14 starts this year. So seems like a slam dunk. The only thing that's giving me reservation though is the rough. I mean, he's really struggled this year uh, when he, he's gotten the highest stuff. I think he's like 155th in rough, rough proximity. Um, and it's not just this year, the past couple of years, he's kind of been outside the top 50 in that category. Also one of the more wild drivers on tour. Um, you know, accuracy is not his forte. Uh, if he finds the deep stuff often, it could spell trouble. Um, one thing I will say that, he has already won the PGA Championship at a venue uh, in Quail Hollow that had some gnarly rough in spots. It wasn't maybe as thick as we've seen, but uh, it definitely threw guys some curveballs. So um, it's not that he can't win in a venue like this. It, it just gives me a little bit of pause. JT, weirdly, not a super duper performer in the majors either. He has just three top tens in 17 starts, which you know is kind of, was surprising to me. When I saw that uh, particular stat, I did want to um, pick up on on one thing that Nate mentioned, which is the proximity of Olympic to this venue and how you can look across the the same um, pair of designers who designed Olympic also designed the uh, Harding Park venue, and you know that made me think about a guy like Webb Simpson, who. Uh, won the U.S. Open in 2012 at Olympic, and I was thinking about who performed well at Olympic as a potential indicator. Now, that was a long time ago. It was eight years ago. But one thing um, that Webb recently said um, has me leaning against him, maybe in a fade kind of thing, but I'm interested in your take on this, uh, JB. They uh, Webb went on the record and said, you know, a major without fans is going to be really different. He he really emphasized um, how he thought that that playing that you know you don't have the depth of of fans. It's not going to be ten deep and surrounding the the greens and everything, and that the noise is going to be way down. And I wondered if if for Webb that he was. It sounded like he was kind of describing it in a way that was going to be disappointing. For him, um, what's your sense of whether or not uh, the fan element is going to have an impact on this? 
Well, it's funny. I, I saw that comment too, and specifically with Webb, because he was one of the guys I was looking at, and I was like, man, it, it seems like uh, this is a guy who's going to need that type, of, you know, that type of spur from the gallery. And then I remembered he won in Hilton Head and had another top ten a couple weeks ago in Detroit. So clearly, that's something that's not going to be affecting him for people looking at Simpson. Um, at least, at least it seems he's managing it uh, so far in, in the restart. But uh, I think, I think at this point, guys have played enough um, in this environment the past two months. Uh, if this was, you know, week two or week three coming back, yeah, sure, I, I can see that being a problem. But um, w- with all the reps he's got, got over the past two months, I don't think it's going to be as much of an issue as maybe they alluded to be or at least think it's going to be. So, JB, the list of second-place finishers at the PGA through time is almost as impressive as the winners. And, and that taps into something you said earlier about how they're they're comfortable with the score going low. They're just trying to suss out the best golfers that they can. But we sometimes get the rich beam wild cards at this tournament. You know, both Tiger and and Rory, as we've said, have won events at this course. But is this a week where some random could break through? Or is your feeling that this course is going to suss out the best player in the world right now? It kind of leaves me what something Brooks Kepka said last year at Bethpage is that the reason he does so well at majors is he only believes it's like 30 or 40 guys can win and compete under these type of conditions specifically about the course. So if we think, though, it's going to play more like a tour venue, that does make you think, hey, we'll, it, you have to expand that list, maybe an extra 15, 20 guys. Also, just kind of seems like we're due for a, a rank-and-file winner, right? Like, you, you've looked at not only just this PGA Championship, but just major winners in general. Um, we've been kind of lucky. We, we, there haven't been any guys you go, oh, that was kind of odd. That being said, I, I still think, uh, the way this course is going to play, um, it's still going to favor the Bombers. And most of the Bombers are household names and guys you see in the top 15, top 20 in the world. Um, so maybe there's a, a chance that that kind of comes into play. But I still think you go with the marquee attractions this week. Are there any dark horses that y- you look at this week that that have jumped up? Maybe that we haven't seen quite as much since the restart. I mean, certainly there are some guys from across the pond. Tom Lewis has gone nuts the last two days. Uh, you know, we got the South Africans, we got Eric Van Royen, we got Christian Bazudenhut. A- any of those dark horses that you think uh, we might know a little bit less about who are going to be a factor this week? Well, a guy who, I wouldn't say, he's kind of in between the two. Not quite the household name yet, but I wouldn't also say, you know, he's not just some other guy. That's Victor Hoblund. Uh, if you look at what he's done in the restart, it's just a lot of top 25 finishes. And, and the way his game, it, this game is just built for a place like this. Hit it long. You get in the rough, hack it out into the green and two putt. Really, his only issue is when he gets around the green. His short game is arguably the worst on tour. Um, so that, that's going to be something that could factor in. But honestly, you talk to these guys, and they, they actually want higher rough around the green. It's easier for them to get out of rather than kind of some slopes or, or shaved edges or things like that. So I think actually having higher rough around the green could help Victor. Um, but also, we saw last year as an amateur how he played at the Masters as well as the U.S. Open. He's not afraid to mix up with these big boys. So Hovland, if you're looking at the odds, is a guy who's kind of in that second or third tier uh, of someone who I, I, you know, young guys don't necessarily always do well in the majors, but he's someone who I would have no hesitation throwing on the lineup. House, there's one other European who, you know, we haven't talked a lot about. And, you know, he's an okay golfer. He, he shows up every now and then. Where the hell is Rory McIlroy? <laughs> I mean... It's amazing that we uh, have made it sort of this far in, and this is the first time that we're talking about him in this major context. Well, I'll ask JB, has he been playing possum? Is he deliberately just getting reps 
and using all of these restart um, uh, opportunities to just sort of get his legs under him. And he plans on coming out to San Francisco and burning the place down. I mean, I would never bet against Rory, put it that way. And um, e- even though he hasn't had the results um, that you would expect from Rory McIlroy, I mean, he's, you look at what he did before, uh, before the suspension of play, you know, had continued his player of the year campaign com- coming out strong in, in the winter. Um, and really just the way he's played, I think if we're, it, it's been okay. It's just compared to that guy we've seen over the last 18 months. Yeah. They're falling a little bit short, but uh, I mean, God, I mean, that's this Rory's whole thing has been, you know, he, he, Rough has not bothered him in the past. Also, the last time uh, we, we really were at Harding Park in 2015, Rory was the guy who won the match play. It is odd that not only in this conversation, but just a lot of conversations I've had, McElroy hasn't been mentioned in the first 20, 30 minutes. I think people are definitely overlooking him because of what Brooks is trying to do, what Bryson's been doing. Guys not like Justin Thomas has been playing. But yeah, I would not be surprised if we head into Saturday and Rory McIlroy is in the, in the top four or five heading, heading into the third round. It would be great. I mean, his drought right now is six years running. The last time he won was the PGA in Valhalla in 2014. And it seems like, you know, there's just a, a lackadaisical round among the four that's occurring. I mean, he, he doesn't have any problem um, going out and, and, you know, going 66, 65, uh, but they're, they're not, he's not stringing them together. Um, last year he had two top tens in the majors, but he really wasn't a factor. He was top 10 at the, both the PGA and the U S open, but you never really felt like he was at, uh, in danger of winning either one of those. Um, I just wonder if, if, you know, part of what we've seen from him, um, since the restart is, you know, so, some, uh, discussion around, taking it easier on himself psychologically. And I just wonder if there's a psychological angle at play here with him. What, what do you think about that? He definitely has talked about in the past trying to peak for majors. And uh, he is very well aware that he hasn't won since 2014. Uh, just from talking to people around him, he, he doesn't really like the way Brooks has kind of overtaken that, that mantle from him. Um, he knows that even though that he's you know been the number one player in the world, one player of the year, Anytime we talk about Rory now, it's always this. So what's going on in the majors? And like you just mentioned, like really those top tens last year, especially the PGA was about as backdoor as it gets. Um, and then at the U.S. Open, he was kind of in it heading in a Saturday and then third round kind of threw him for a loop. Um, you're right. It's been a while since he's been really in contention. But, uh, th- you know, this is a course that I think suits his game, especially uh, if it does play more like a bit of a tour venue. Um, I would not. I would not advise anyone to bet against Roy McIlroy, put it yeah, that way. He, he, he's still the best driver of the golf ball, right? There's guys who we're going to talk about, Bryson, for example, who are hitting the absolute crap out of it. This venue is not going to allow for a lot of different and unique and, shall we say, creative driving angles that we've seen Bryson be able to use to his advantage. The cypress trees that line this course are massive, right? And and those cypress trees, they got a lot of vegetation right at the top. So it's not like you're just taking them over some pines in in South Carolina. So I think if Rory can keep his strength, which is driving that golf ball straight, you know, his distance control with his wedges is better right now than a lot of the big hitters that we've seen, Bryson included. So Rory's going to have a real chance to do something if he keeps his focus this week. All right, we've made it 25 minutes into this podcast. You just mentioned his name twice, Nathan Hubbard. That is the incredible bulk, beefy Bryson himself, Bryson DeChambeau. You know, the the 
knock on him, JB, has been in the majors. Little bit of scuffling play. His best major finish ever is tied for 15th in the 2016 U.S. Open. He's played in 14 majors. That's not great, but it's a new Bryson. It's a new day. Do we expect a new result, perhaps? Well, it's funny you mentioned Knox because he's got a lot of those lately, which I'm, you know, I, I guess I should preface this that it's not just the fans and Twitter that have been knocking Bryson, but you're kind of seeing that inside the game as well. There it kind of remains this air of, for lack of a better word, dismissiveness of what he's done this year. Um, and not just in the restart, in all of 2020. You know, he's had eight top tens, I think, in like 12 starts heading into today. He's first in strokes gained off the tee and second in strokes gained total. Uh, and it's not just distance gains. I know this is what's getting all the attention, but Bryson, Bryson went into Memphis, I think, inside the top 15 in putting. And yet, there continues to be this like lack of universal buy-in to what he's done. And I think you're going to see that this week. The Well, he hasn't done it in the majors yet. And, you know, he hasn't. You know, he's missed the cut in five of his last 11 major starts. And that, that finish you just mentioned at 2016, he had just turned professional. He, he had just gone from amateur to professional. So, like, even then, it kind of comes with a little bit of a, a caveat. Uh, but I think you have to throw out the past when it comes to Bryson, the PGA, you know, just because guys haven't done it doesn't mean they won't. I, I kind of reminds me of what Patrick Reed did uh, at the 2017 PGA. You know, that was his knock for the longest time that he couldn't get it done in majors. And then he competes at Quail Hollow, wins the Masters in 2018, and was right there at Shinnecock, I believe, had a top five finish as well. So they come and burst. And, you know, listen, he's been one of the best three players on tour this year. The rough should not be a problem with him, with him and his muscles. Uh, I think this is where we see Bryson really start to contend in a major. Joel, do do we know, are there fire ants on Harding Park? <laughs> I mean, that's really the question about him, right? Because you said it, he's strong enough. He's got a lot of the shots. I mean, barring the distance control with the, with the wedges. I, I feel like every tournament we're watching Bryson roll in bomb putts. I mean, he's really putted the ball super well. But the question with him is, does he have the mental temperament to hang in there when things get difficult, when the pressure is on and the vice is being turned, does he have it between the ears to stop worrying about burrowing animals and start burying balls in the cup the way that you've got to, to win a, to win a championship? What have you seen from him? And does he have the mental fortitude to do this now? Well, I think two things on that front. One, bad as it looked, as, as poor as the optics were, you know, part of that is just a little bit of gamemanship, right? He was trying to get a better a better lie on, on his ball. Um, I don't think it was something that got really gotten his head. I think he was just trying to find out the rules could come to his advantage. Um, but that is that question, right? Of, Hey, is this guy all there when, when things get tough? Um, I, I will say though, like, it, it just seems like he's a guy that for a lot of reasons we kind of know um, is not universally beloved. And because that there's always these questions. So like when we, when he first started to, get big. It was, yeah, this is cool, but let's see if it actually translates to the leaderboard. And then when he started racking up the top fives, that criticism kind of changed to, yeah, but he's not winning. Then when he went in Detroit, it's, yeah, but it wasn't a great field. So I think we kind of keep throwing on these, like, yeah, butts with Bryson. Um, and right now, it's kind of changed to, yeah, like, can he handle it when things really get tough? Um, you know, so far, like we mentioned, the majors, he hasn't, but the, what we've seen this year, I, I don't see any reason not to think this is this guy who's going to just, you know, immediately turn in like a 75 or 76 on Thursday and be out of running. I think, I think he'll be there at least come the weekend. Well, I'm going to throw a couple more. Yeah. Butts at you. Lay it on me. The uh, two best fields that he's played in the Memorial. And then this, this event, uh, 
He has not been very impressive. He missed the cut at the memorial. The other thing about, you know, the performance to date with Bryson, he didn't play well at the memorial. And and we never really got a chance to see whether or not through the weekend, you know, whether the the conditions of that golf course, how he he might have fared because he he self-combusted with the 10 that he had. He was right on the brink of making the the cut very easily. And then he shot himself right out of the tournament on a, on a single hole. But he was pretty lackadaisical at this venue. And I think, you know, um, across the board, if you look at all the venues that have been competed on so far, Muirfield Village and then this track, um, both have, you know, reputations for, for posing a big uh, challenge. And, and neither one of these venues permit, you know, that the kind of uh, angles that he's attacked holes on. In fact, uh, he, he was... So far down the board today, he tried, it seemed, to drive the green on 18. I mean, he, he took a line on 18 here at TP Southwind. He hit it in the water. He hit it 330 yards into the water. But the line that he took looked like he was uh, attempting to drive it because, you know, it was just something fun to do maybe. But, I, you know, I, I still have my yeah, but doubts um, if this golf course at TPC Harding Park really is set up um, the way that we've been talking about with the way we're anticipating. Um, you know, we I think the thing we want to see from Bryson, it's a show me. It's a show me moment. Show, show us something. Go out there, compete against the very best, the, an incredible field at a great venue with major pressure and show us. What, what do you think? The, the only, and you're, trust me, a lot of people have that same way. The, the only counter that I'll have is that he's played at some pretty good venues this year with some good fields. Um, at, at Riviera, I believe he finished T five, um, at, at the WGC Mexico, a, a very tight course, something that shouldn't really fit his game. Uh, he finished second to Patrick Reed. Um, you know, the Charles Schwab challenge is the, the event coming right out of the restart, pretty good field, uh, was in the top three there. And then at, at Hilton head, another place that really shouldn't have fit his game with, with a loaded, loaded field, another top 10. So yeah, the Memorial is one of the better, better non-major venues we see all year. Um, but that's also a place he's won at before. And, you know, he, he was coming off a win, so I can understand that, you know, Hey, he might just need a little bit of a break. Um, I, I, that's something that's not worried, worries, you know, worries me. I think he can get it done against the best. It's just, can he get it done now in the major? But again, I think from what we've seen this year, it's a different Bryson. Um, I don't think he's as much in his head as we think he is at times. Um, but that, that being said, I hundred percent understand where people come from on that angle. JB, we, the last two guys we talked about were Rory and Bryson, and they're two guys who weren't really ever in the mix this week. And as you know, leading up to a major, that can actually sometimes be a good thing. So here we sit Sunday afternoon and we got Brooks and JT battling down the stretch. You can tell they both want this. Brooks, if nothing else, for the comeback story, and JT with bones on the bag thinking, man, I've been the best player since the restart. I just don't have a win to show for it. How much stock should we put in uh, these guys, in particular Brooks and JT, get mentally wiped out from this week? Do, do you think that they can go back to back? Should we be worried about their performance next week? Or you know, is this just really a blip and they're going to be able to rally? Yeah, I, I think Brooks is one of the toughest athletes we've seen, um, in the last decade, not just in golf, just uh, across, uh, across the spectrum. He, he's a guy who builds up to these weeks. Um, he, he's been very transparent that the, the PGA tour events don't mean as much. He knows he's only being judged by four weeks and four weeks alone. Um, 
matter what, how this transpires down in Memphis, he just needs to see some good play. He's fine there. Same with Thomas. I, I'm not worried about him focusing on winning so much that it's going to throw him for a loop. I, I think we can kind of sometimes get in the weeds with that type of thing. It's just more of they need to kind of see a little bit of momentum. And you know, how this finishes out, I think both, both have that and, and both will be looking good. Uh, good will be looking good into Harding Park no matter how this plays out. Hey, Par Saving Pals. Quick break. I want to talk about Zip Recruiter. In these extraordinary times, hiring is especially challenging. You have lots and lots to consider as an employer, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. We've been talking about Zip Recruiter on this podcast for years. You know that ZipRecruiter is a place where businesses can connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Roland, R-O-L-L-I-N. As you know, ZipRecruiter is sending your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. They have powerful matching technology. They're scanning thousands of resumes. All this is happening behind the scenes to find people with the right experience, and they're actively inviting them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, fairway roll and listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash rolling. That's ZipRecruiter.com. Dot com slash R-O-L-L-I-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, Birdie Buddies, today's edition of Fairway Rolling brought to us by our good friends at FanDuel. I am very pleased to announce a brand new competition commencing with the first golf major of the season. This is the Fairway Rolling Doe Invitational. We're rolling in dough, my Eagle enthusiasts. The Fairway Rolling Doe Invitational on FanDuel. This is a DFS Daily Fantasy Golf leaderboard series. You enter four contests starting this week with the PGA Championship. The other contests will be the US Open, the Tour Championship, and the Masters. And after each round, They're gathering up the scores, collecting them, and posting them on a leaderboard. For each contest, of course, you can still win thousands of dollars in cash prizes, but we are taking a tally of how you do over each of these four contests, and we've got one hell of a prize package, my par-saving pals. Not only... Is there an exclusive Fairway Rolling Doe Championship jacket? Not only do you get a lifetime supply of bragging rights, we are offering to the winner of this Fairway Rolling Doe Invitational an appearance on this very podcast. You're going to join me. You're going to join our PGA correspondent, Nathan Hubbard. We might even be able to get the pod father himself, Bill Simmons, to join us. If you don't finish at the very tippy top, you can still win. We got ringer gear to send to folks. Just listen to the Bill Simmons podcast and the Fairway Rolling podcast throughout this golf 
sprint that we are about to embark on to find out how you stack up against the competition. Go to FanDuel to enter the Fairway Rolling Dough leaderboard series. Age and location restrictions apply, my birdie buddies. Yo, my eagle enthusiasts, I want to tell you about the Whoop strap. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered you are, and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day, both from your workouts and from the normal stressors of life. It's been all over the news lately in connection with the PGA Tour. Justin Thomas said that the Whoop might have saved the PGA Tour. You know who Justin Thomas is. The Tour procured 1,000 straps for its golfers, caddies, and staff to help everyone at these tournaments stay safe throughout the pandemic. And Whoop has been using its respiratory rate monitor to help members detect potential signs of illness before other symptoms develop. Whoop is also now the official fitness wearable of the Ladies Professional Golf Association, AKA the LPGA, as well as the Ladies European and the Symmetra Tours. Birdie Buddies, Whoop provides you with personalized insights and data to help you make smarter lifestyle decisions. There's a journal function in there, one of their newest features, and you input your actions throughout the day and see what impact they have, both good and bad, on your sleep, recovery, and training. I have one. I have one on right now. If you could see me, you would see my Whoop strap. They're incredibly easy to put on, and I have been shocked at how accurate these measurements are. They're really tracking my sleep, and I've been on a little bit of a mini vacation, and I've been catching like some sleep where I sleep for like three hours when I get home from dinner. And I'm, I wake up for a little bit, need a drink of water, and then I go back down for my extended sleep into the morning. The Whoop is capturing all that. Whoop automatically detects and categorizes your activity, so there's no need to start and stop your workouts. The Whoop Sleep Coach is custom tailored to you and calculates your sleep needs based on a whole variety of data points. And it has the ability to help you set levels to peak, perform, or get by, depending on whatever you have planned for the following day. Whoop is offering 15% off when you use the code Fairway at checkout. Go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com. And enter the code FAIRWAY, F-A-I-R-W-A-Y, to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with WHOOP today. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health Services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. 
passion, drive, and patience, the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply this episode is brought to you by hotels.com I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. JB, I'm not going to permit us to move past the Bryson discussion without referencing, without discussing with you your own Q-Life experiment. Now, I'm not sure how many folks know this. You took great inspiration from Bryson DeChambeau and the transformation that he underwent in the, in the 90 days from when the, the uh, tour was shut down and his effort to gain swing speed by way of adding muscle to his frame, you, your own self, attempted this very experiment. Did I ever? And uh, it was one of the colossally stupid things I've ever done in my life, but I also had a, had a blast doing it. Uh, basically, the etymology was uh, in January, our editor, uh, you know, our editor-in-chief sent out a message of trying to replicate things guys are doing on tour for a... Uh, magazine package. And this was at the time where the Divide Desert Classic was going on. It was really Bryson's first event since he had, you know, in the fall, he had announced that he was doing this and showed up to the President's Cup in December looking, you know, a little heftier. But then come January, he was even really, you know, looked like Godzilla was going down the fairway. So just through, hey, why don't we try Bryson? And uh, that's how I unfortunately got assigned the task of trying to replicate what Bryson was doing. So for three months, the, the goal was to gain 30 pounds and 20 yards of distance off the drive. I uh, got thrown a little bit of a curveball with the quarantine. So I'd, I'd started in early February and I think day 31 or day 32. Uh, I live in Connecticut. That's when we went into lockdown. So the last 60 days, I was essentially doing like a Rocky four workout at home in my backyard. Yeah. It, uh, you know, the, the piece ended up, uh, drawing a lot of engagement, I guess is what the, uh, people like to tell me. And, uh, 
yeah, it, I didn't unfortunately get to 30 pounds, uh, 18, um, which sounds okay, except, you know, that's about 60% of what we were shooting for, but I, I did see the distance gains at least. Uh, so that's, that was always a plus, but, uh, yeah, my, uh, my stomach and my, my colon are still trying to recover from this, from this experience. Now, have you kept the weight on? I have lost. So I, I stopped in May. I've lost about nine, <laughs> nine pounds since then. So, uh, summary has a little bit to do with that. And just, uh, I, I, I've actually been keeping up the workouts on a, on a regular basis, but I, I've cut the protein shakes out that it was hurt, hurting the budget and, uh, hurt, hurting the toilet as well. So, uh, but, um, <laughs> what'd you, what'd you notice about your flexibility? It actually improved a little bit. Um, I was doing yoga as part of it on the side. I've, I've had a couple of back issues in the past. That was kind of my main, main worry. And we had to go to a doctor to get the green light to do this, but, uh, no, the, the flexibility improved, um, especially on my iron shots. So that was something that I was not, you know, I was definitely, uh, w- worried about and, um, but no, it, it improved. And, uh, that, that was one thing I credit to my trainer, Brandon Gay. So yeah, he, he might be listening to this house. He's, he's a huge fan. So, uh, Brandon had me on a program. He's a guy who's worked with guys like Daniel Berger, Michelle, Wee, Brooks Kupka, uh, down at the Florida health Institute. So he kind of knew what their uh, game plan was. So we kind of replicated that. So he, he made sure that we weren't going to screw the swing up with what we were trying. You're the Christian Bale of golf media. Congratulations. And <laughs> now, did, did you, um, you said you added the yardage. Did you see the incremental improvement in both swing speed and, and, and yards that, that was the goal? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, started out at about 275 carry, uh, and ended up around 286 carry, um, by the time the experiment was done. Uh, the only uh, disconcerting thing was one of the <laughs> first times I went out you know, feeling pretty good about myself, you know, Hey, you know, catch one can get it over 300 yards. Um, I get paired in a, a club championship, uh, with this guy who for our first hole is 340 yards. He goes ahead and drives it with a two iron second hole, par five goes driver pitching wedge. So third hole after hitting another bomb, I did a quick Google search of this guy. His name's Kyle Allen. He's a former world long drive competitor. So just goes to show, you know, how much, you know, how much we put into this, I was never going to be hitting the ball 350 like this cat. So, uh, Definitely put me back, uh, you know, however good I was feeling was quickly eliminated within like 45 minutes, but, uh, <laughs> no, it, uh, it, it, it paid off luckily. So it wasn't a, a complete, complete misfire. So you understand what it takes to build this up. And that means you understand the impact that the sort of strength and weight gain can have on the game. There's been a lot of talk since the restart about how we start to defend against this and what should be changed on golf courses to protect against it. Do you have a view on whether we need to make sweeping changes? And if so, what we should be doing to protect against the, the increase in length? You know, it's easy for a get, you know, especially given all that's happened the past four or five months. But, you know, this was right at the head of the USGA back in February when the, the distance insight report was released. You know, it's something they've been working on with the RNA for the past few years. And that report, while uh, not the best of reads or uh, most fun of reads, was pretty clear that, hey, we need to stop distance gains and we need to stop them now. Um, how they're going about it still has not been released. It was supposed to be released, you know, 45 days after that, but because of, uh, because of the pandemic, they've kind of paused on that. But, um, uh, you know, I, I think what we're seeing Bryson doing has definitely amplified uh, that sentiment. Um, you know, personally, I, I think bifurcation is the way to go. Um, uh, most your average shows, they need all the help they can get. And, uh, you know, we're not in a spot where we should be deterring people from playing golf. And a lot of amateurs want to hit the ball far and love to hit the ball far. So we shouldn't be doing anything to stop that. But, at the same time, you know, and all credit to Bryson for what he's done because it's clearly working. But something feels really wrong about going, you know, driver sandwich into 480 yard holes. 
it, it is funny because when you do hear people rolling back the ball, that that's only going to help the long guys further. You know, if Bryson's hitting the ball eight or nine percent farther than normal guys. That's only going to widen when if you know if the ball is rolled back twenty yards. So that being said, I, I do think we got to protect these courses because you 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 know most places don't have the real estate to add expertise. You can you can add the rough, but that kind of takes you know it, it, courses have to keep going high with the rough. Um, it kind of takes a little bit of skill out in terms of your, your second shot prowess. So, you know, it's, you only can get so accurate off the tee. Um, so I, I do think you're going to see some changes in the next couple of years. I don't think it's going to be a rollback per se, but I, I'd be surprised if some type of bifurcation is not brought in. I am literally an average Joe as a double digit handicap. Although I'm trending, I've, I've been having some good rounds, JB, but I know for sure. I, I fit that category of somebody that wants all the distance I can get under all circumstances. But you mentioned second shot skill, and there is a name that we have not quite touched upon yet. The last stroke play winner here at TPC Harding Park won Eldrick Tiger Woods. We haven't really seen him. We've only seen him one time in what feels like, you know, six months. We've seen him twice. We saw him at the match, which was, you know, the terrific charity event he did with Brady, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Phil. And then we saw him at the memorial and he kind of, you know, made the cut right on the number and had one good round and one bad round and one good round and one bad round. What are your expectations for the Tiger this week? You know, you mentioned the match. One thing that still blows me away by that is that it's a, it was four guys. And for the first time in his life, Tiger Woods was like the undercard. Everyone was so infatuated with what, the, you know, Peyton was doing, uh, you know, Phil kind of being as goofy as he was and Brady's kind of kind of fall out and then redemption there that tiger was kind of the side story. And yet he looked pretty good uh, playing, you know, granted it was his home course, but you know, he looked pretty good there. And even with the Memorial, um, yeah, he didn't finish well, but he, he swung the club pretty well. He finished fifth in approach that week really was just kind of done in by a, a poor putting performance. And, you know, given Muirfield villages greens, you know, I, I understand why um, that being said, I think if you're trying to look for any type of parallels or, or how to judge, what Tiger's going to do this week. I think you have to go back to last year's PGA and open championship where Tiger kind of came in with little to no reps. Those were two early exits. Um, you know, I understand he has to manage his body and I do think it was the right play not going to Memphis this week, um, especially given the two different uh, climates and just playing back-to-back weeks at, at his age and with his body. I think that was a bad recipe, but again, only getting one tournament in, it, it doesn't really bode well. I, I think if you're looking for hope, um, you know, it, it wasn't just that he won in 2005. You know, Harding Park was a side of that infamous club twirl he had in the President's Cup and played really well in the matches there. A couple of players told me this as well. In the chance that Harding Park actually plays harder than what we expect, it kind of goes into his favor. He's a great win player. And even in his 40s, he remains one of the best players in grinding out a solid score in tough conditions. So, uh, you know, I'm not totally throwing in the talent Tiger, but it's going. To, we're going to need to see some tough conditions um, to kind of keep him in place. And we're also going to need to see, you know, his back just kind of pulled up under the weather. So uh, it'll be interesting to just see him play, but uh, I don't have the highest of hopes for him. I'll tell you what makes me feel good, House. Phil Mickelson's 50 years old, and he's currently T3 in uh, in Memphis. So the old guys can still hang. And so, listen, different bodies, different time. But our, our concern with these guys has always been, can they string four rounds together? And the good news about this course for Tiger is it's pretty flat. 
he's not walking up and down big hills like he does at Augusta. There's not going to be any talk about whether he's in cart shape or walking shape like we had when he was out at the Memorial. This is a course where there's not a whole lot of physical exertion on a relative basis from golf. So it's going to be about how he swings the ball. He's in a, he's in a town and, and on a course that he feels comfortable with and a course that he's won before. I, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic as well. It's the Sunday of the first major golf tournament of 2020. We're talking about Tiger Woods and 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 getting his his reps. Why can't we be optimistic? I mean, he he said he knew what his problem was. It was putting. We know that he's got uh, comfort at this this venue. He's very familiar with the greens, the 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 the, the grass here. And, you know, at an absolute minimum, if I'm going to allocate a little capital, it's early in the week. I'm going to put down a little something on at least a top 20. Do you like that, JP? Hey, something good has to happen in 2020, right? Why not Tiger competing at the PGA? So I'm not going to rain on your parade. I don't think we're going to do any better than that. JB, Joe Beal from Golf Digest. How, how, what are you going to be writing this week? What are we going to see from you? That's a good question. Uh, we, uh, we're still trying to figure out our coverage plans uh you know th- this uh, unfortunately i won't be in california um you know pga is really restricted uh and then rightfully so uh who's on site so we'll be we'll be, this will be my first major really kind of covering it from afar so we're still trying to figure out how we do do that but uh yeah you know i'll come thursday morning you know i'll, I'll be I'll be hammering the stuff out and uh just i'm just happy this thing's actually going down i know when um you know everything was kind of put on pause we everyone at least on the pga side was really worried that this would be the championship that would go given kind of that San Francisco was one of the early hotspots. So uh, I understand that a lot of people won't be able to attend, but just that PGA will still be in San Francisco. I know a lot of people in the area are still happy for it. And uh, just, just really happy that it's happening and uh, happy we talked golf to you guys. It's always a blast for us. East coasters. It's, it's the, the absolute very best opportunity, primetime golf. There's primetime major golf. There really is nothing better. And Nate, you are going to San Francisco this week. I will be on site starting midweek to walk through the rough myself and watch Justin Thomas push his drives right like he's doing now and Brooks <laughs> fly his wedges over the green like he's doing now. And it's just a reminder that the greatest mental player ever is Tiger Woods. So uh, I'm going to be pulling for Tiger quietly, though, because I'm part of the media now. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're not allowed to. And you're not allowed to yell, I don't think, are you? <laughs> Maybe I'll test that out. I <laughs> oh, no, I've seen on multiple occasions uh, reporters do just that. So you will not be alone pulling for Tiger. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Fellas, great talking major golf with you. It's going to be a hell of a week. JB, be well. Nate will connect with you from San Francisco. Talk to you soon, huh? All right, my par saving pals. There you have it. That's the preview show. We are back this week. Wednesday, our data guru, Justin Dre, is coming on. We are going to get deep with some analytics on what is going to work best at TPC Harding Park. We're going to try and give out some winners. We're going to try and help everybody line their pockets with a little capital. We're back on Wednesday. Can't wait to see you all out there. If you get around in between now and then, try and hit them straight out there.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 